When I first started working at one of the universities in the Department of Urology, health and eating healthy was pretty much eating pretzels and drinking diet soda. And when you go to your physician, you often find or suspect that they, they may not be taking good care of themselves. They don't look healthy. And you would make the argument that doctors should be a representation of health. Today's conversation is with Dr. Jay Shaw, who's a staff surgeon and associate professor of Uro at Stanford University. He's also the cancer care program leader of urologic oncology at Stanford Cancer Center. Jay's a graduate from Harvard College. He's obtained medical degrees from Columbia University and did his residency at Columbia University, where we met. And we talk about that back way back in the day, early 2000s. Jay is a great person, a gem in the field of urologic oncology, and someone who gets it. He gets holistic health. In fact, in our conversation, he sounds more like a naturopathic doctor than I am. He sounds even more holistic than I am. We talk about self-preservation amongst doctors and physicians. We talk about how can healthcare practitioners take better care of themselves? What, what are the things to do? Is it the system? What's the problem? Is it how physicians are wired and what to do about it? We talk about diet. We talked about sleep and how can physicians improve on those aspects of health. So enjoy today's conversation with Dr. Jay Shaw on how physicians can better take care of themselves. Let's go. Welcome to the Dr. Geo podcast. I am your host, Dr. Geo, where it is my intention and my goal to help you improve and optimize your prostate health and live better with age. Jay, thanks so much for coming on. What is it over there? It's what, 7.35 out there in California? 8.35. 8.35 in morning. Yeah, that's right. I got my math wrong. All right. Not, not, I'm not, I don't feel that bad. It's not that early. <laughs> <laughs> I've been up for hours. Don't worry, Jay. <laughs> the morning is my time. Thanks for thanks for being on, Jay. So we've known each other when you were a medical resident at Columbia. And prior to hitting record, the record button, we talked about that I had Phil, Dr. Phil Perrazio on from Penn, urologist, and his we, our conversation is like on Zen, you know, Zen approaches to prostate health, Zen approaches to being a surgeon, Zen approaches to living your life, really is mindfulness, being mindful. And mm -hmm. it was a great conversation. And I met Phil when he was a medical student, you were a resident. And, you know, this whole thing on holistic and lifestyle medicine, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the right time for it, or it was kind of coming about slowly. Maybe that's part of the reason why I was there and Aaron Katz hired me. But it was, it was, my wife would tell you it was brutal for me because it's like, it's not hard medicine, right? Soft medicine and surgeons, you know, they practice hard medicine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's this soft, you know, touchy feely stuff that you're, that you're doing geo. Not that I think, I think that's what they, some of them thought at the time. That's at least that was my impression. And then time goes on. And then I get a, a, a faculty position at NYU because it's like, oh, this is coming about, you know, acupuncture, life, lifestyle, stress reduction. I joke uh, with you earlier, I said, you know, I'll take all the prostatitis patients. Absolutely. <laughs> get this guy in right now, you know. And then I see Phil years later doing it. I, he, I see you at the AUA meeting, the conference, and it's like you're doing, you know, your own version of life. So you have a, an appreciation for it. 
partially actually, I would assume is because there is a significant amount of science now indicating that these things have value. I had Dr. Adam Keibel from Brigham and Women. I, yesterday I said Brigham and Young. He says, nope, that's too far away. That, <laughs> that, that, he said, he said, that's too far away. Brigham and Women. I said, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, you know, we talked about several things, but one of the things that he was an author, one of the papers that he was an author is on, on the fact on lifestyle medicine, reducing the risk of mortality in 45% of the patients. So, so prostate cancer mortality specific, 45% of the patients who have a genetic risk for high risk disease. Wow. Amazing. Like, so yeah, you have a high risk of dying lethal prostate cancer and through lifestyle medicine, whatever that is, you reduce the risk by 45% according to that one of his papers. So we spoke about that. It was like, wow, the science is there. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, I present that all the time. So what's happening, what has happened, you feel in your opinion, that the conventional medical um, world is embracing, let's call it holistic me medicine, lifestyle medicine, whatever. And people like you, excellent academic institution, Stanford, and you are also, and maybe others are um, also embracing it and have Somebody told me, and when I was in school, they said, um, naturopathic medical school, they said, this is not, this is, um, this is a livity. What, what you do is a livity. You live this. You just don't, this is not just a, a career. You live it. I mean, and if you don't, mm -hmm. you, you're going to fail. What's happening in medicine? What's happening in your opinion? And what are your health practices? Yeah. Well, first of all, good morning, Gio. Good morning to all the listeners or afternoon or whatever time they're listening. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have this conversation with you. I think... Just overall, the one constant in medicine has been that it has always been in flux. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, for as long as people have been healing, there's been something changing. And I think it's been amazing to watch over the last 20, 25 years since you know, when we were all at Columbia and overlapped together in various ways to see just how much medicine has changed. I mean, let, let's face it. You came in, I don't know what year it was, but you came into to Columbia University Medical Center. Back then, I think it was called Columbia Presbyterian Medical yeah. Center. 2002? Bastion. Does that 2002. make sense? Yeah, so yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right, right when I started my my internship. I'd been there for four years for, for medical school. That's right. But you came into a, a bastion of Western academic medicine, you know, where everything was about textbooks and guidelines and, and you know, doing it very scientifically. And you were... You were working with Aaron on sort of alternative, integrative, naturopathic, homeopathic, Eastern, whatever word you want to use, mm. you know, the, the soft, I forget the word you just touchy-feely medicine. <laughs> That's right. And knowing the personalities and the, the larger-than-life figures that were there at the time, I give you credit for walking in there <laughs> with, with that. That's that, that's a credit to, to the fact that you were living this this belief. and. I think you've been one of the people in our field that has actually brought it to life. And I think the rest of us have just been catching up. And we've just been starting to appreciate, and everyone gets there on their own time, mm. that everything we learn in medical school in terms of the traditional curriculum, the books, the rotations and all that, that is just one small element mm. Of what truly defines health or disease, depending on you know which we're looking at, mm. and there's so much more involved than just giving 
a statin for cholesterol. There's so much more involved than just doing a procedure for a problem. Yes, it is one, one element, but there is a ton more involved. And I think that's what we have all as a field been coming to learn and appreciate over the last generation or so. And I, I am certainly not at the forefront of that evolution. I think as I've been getting older and on my own personal growth journey and having my own medical issues, et cetera, I've realized, wait a minute, just because the book says this is the answer, that doesn't necessarily fit in my life. Let me think about what might make more sense. Mm. And as I've gotten older, I've applied that to my patients as well. And I have much more empathy for why some patients don't follow their doctor's instructions. Mm. You'd ask me that 20 years ago, I would have said, well, they're non-compliant. They're bad patients. They don't get it. They're <laughs> right. stupid. Yeah. You know, they have issues. They're psychological issues, coping with their disease, et cetera. Now I kind of have a whole different approach to it. That's beautiful. And well, and be beautifully said, what are some of your health practices? Look, and the reason I ask is because I've noticed that throughout the years, right? I'm working, by the way, as a naturopathic doctor, I've only really worked with, <laughs> with urologists. So, which is one of the few, and I've mm -hmm. looked at how you guys do what you do um, in terms of keeping your own health and it's getting better, but it's been horrific just because the workload and you're seeing 30 patients. And if you are also doing admin work, then, you know, you just go, 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 no, no, you know, no lunch or kind of no food. And then at some point, some guys, honestly, they over, they drink alcohol, they drink too much. They're trying to offset the load somehow. And then it transitioned to, you know, pretzels and diet soda. <laughs> that was, the, that was, the, that was the method. <laughs> of staying healthy. So you see the bags of pretzels and diet soda everywhere. And that's yeah. like how I'm going to stay healthy uh, as I do this. Yeah. So by the way, if anyone, if you do that, I'm not shaving. I'm just saying that. I was like, Hey guys, I've been through that phase. I'm, I'm peanuts, here. Peanuts can, and Coke zero for me. I, I, exactly. <laughs> I'm here. You could ask me if you want. I mean, I may know a thing or two of how to make this work for you. So what, what are some of your health practices as you have a busy life with children, family, and a busy practice? Mm -hmm. And I think you do other things at Stanford. We'll get into that. Yeah. yeah. I think for so many of us, the way that we are selected to, to go through the process of getting into competitive medical schools or any medical school, it's all competitive now, getting into selective residencies, fellowships, et cetera, is you have to have this ability to shut off the world, just turn on your, your super ego and just crank. Mm. And that's how we were selected. You had to study for hours and hours to take the, the MCAT tests and do well enough to have a chance of getting to medical school. And then in medical school, you have to do the same thing to get through each of your, your preclinical courses. And then there's the USMLE exams. We've constantly just been selecting for people who can just crank, even when it hurts. You just go through it, go through it, go through it. And that becomes hardwired in us so that when we are residents, when we are fellows, when we are attendings in practice, in an academic setting, whichever, we just will put our heads to the grindstone and just crank to the exclusion of our own health. Mm. And it is such a, a noble thing that we are doing because we are helping other people live healthier, longer, better lives mm. that we often don't take the time to say, well, what? What does my body need? What do I need? So I think I remember I was an athlete in high school and college. I've always oh. just been very, I've always enjoyed being physically fit. What, what sport did you, you participate in? I was a rower hmm. in high school and college. Mm -hmm. And 
it, it taught me so much about discipline and fitness and everything, but I also just enjoyed it. Mm. It was a, it was painful. Anyone that sat on a stationary rower at a gym knows that within a couple of minutes, it, it, the physical experience is, is miserable. Yep. <laughs> but I used to enjoy the pain of that, and I, I enjoyed reaping the reward of working hard that way. But my point was that when I got to residency, I was so busy being a resident and being a young a father to young babies and everything that my own health went out the window. Mm-hmm. I, I was not very good about making sure that I was doing the things that I knew. If you gave me multiple choice exam at any point, I would have gotten 100. Like, what should a busy resident physician do to take care of their bodies? I would have said, yes, sleep eight to 10 hours. Yes, eat well. Yes, move, you know, work out five times a week, get your heart rate up, whatever. I knew the answers, but I had this other thing competing for my time and my energy that was so important. And then when I wasn't working, I had young babies that I wanted to spend time with. Or honestly, I was in New York City and I was 20 something. I had no real major responsibilities other than the kids. And I wanted to go and party. And I wanted to to be with friends and socialize. And I think that's very valid. Yeah. But of all those various things that are important to us, the thing that gets dropped down on the, the list lowest is usually your own health. And like you said, as we get older, we start realizing, oh, wait a minute, maybe I need to take care of myself. Or maybe we have a little bit more time or at least time to think. And once you have kids, you realize, hey, I want to be around for a really long time to, to watch these folks grow up. And my, my version of the, the peanuts and Diet Coke, sorry, yeah, pretzels and Diet Coke was, like I said, peanuts and Coke Zero because that's what they had in the lounge, <laughs> right. in the surgeon's lounge okay. where I was doing my fellowship and where I was faculty at MD Anderson. Mm. They had planted little packets of planters, peanuts, and Coke Zero. And I would literally operate and look forward to when I was done a case so I could have that. I used to work for peanuts. I used to joke <laughs> all the time back then. Literally you know, speaking. Yeah, exactly. You're like, you know, as you as you're operating, almost almost done. You're just thinking of those peanuts and th- that feeling. Yeah, that's you exactly know, right. Uh, I take the metro north here in New York to get to work. It's just easier, right? New York, and 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 mm-hmm. every now and I've been doing it for a while, and I <laughs> see the same guy. I've seen him, I don't know, hundreds of times. After work, if I come out at the similar time that he comes out, I don't know him. Mm-hmm. He has two bags of chips and two beers and the look on his face when he, you know, and, and the sound, it's like open the bag, right? Chips, crunch, crunch, crunch. You see him kind of relax. It's almost is a drug like effect. Yeah. And he, yeah. Tss, the beer, he drink and his eyes roll back and he just sits back and he's like, <laughs> and it's every time after work, you see the, calmness and yeah. i'm like look man if this guy were to come to me as a patient and said look what you know trying to have me change his diet and i knew him that he does this i don't know that i will take that away i really yeah don't. i i was hoping you were going to say that i was worried you were about to go a different direction and i was wondering how to object kindly to what i thought you might say I think you're exactly right. I don't know that I would take that away. I, by the way, the last couple of years, I've done a deep dive on alcohol consumption and health. I mean, very deep dive, so I have opinions on that and everything. But if I, by the way, and I have to see it. I need to see what happens. This guy, so I can visualize you after a surgical case, you know, with your peanuts and like, you know, and, and, and uh, Coke Zero and having that re- like relaxation effect. That's Yeah. <laughs> 
It made me. It brought me more joy than than you would think. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So money well spent by the hospital. <laughs> what with your busy schedule? How? What is it that you practice now um, from a lifestyle purpose to yeah. keep yourself? You know, you were saying, you know, our, you know, that we 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 do all this to, you know, with this noble um, approach to helping patients. At some point. Yeah. It's very difficult to be a good husband, very difficult to be a good father, very difficult to be a good doctor if you are not well yourself, right? Yep. Yeah. So at what point did you realize that and you made um, any, any changes that you do now that says, yeah, well, you know, I, I meditate 10 minutes a day or I exercise, blah, blah, blah. What is it that you do? And at what point yeah. did you realize that that is indeed the case? Yeah, my, my approach to my own health has, has evolved pretty drastically. Mm. But it was there was not a wake up moment. It's not the day I turned forty. I said, mm. "Oh my gosh, I have to change everything." It's mm. it's been gradual mm. for me, from that peanuts and coke zero more towards where I am now. And you know, after after residency, when I got back into to focusing more on my own physical fitness, I sort of went back to the hardcore athlete mindset of, "All right, what's the hardest thing I can think of?" I'm going to sign up for that and I'm going to train for it. Hmm. So in fellowship, I started doing triathlons hmm. and, you know, like most triathletes, I started with the the shorter distance ones, what some words are called sprint Sprints. distance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then Olympics. And, mm -hmm. and again, the way we're hardwired, we always have to just keep adrenaline. pushing ourselves. Get the adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. So I was then started doing half Ironman and then the off season saying, Oh, I can't, you know, it's November, October right now. It's, Triathlon season doesn't start till March. What can I do for the next four months? Oh, I know. I'll do marathon. So I sort of was still in that mindset of mm. extreme sort of pushing myself. And that was great for a while. It was really great from a physical fitness standpoint because I was in phenomenal shape. It was, How was your recovery? Oh, recovery, recover, recovery practices. So you do, oh. do that, and and what were your recovery practices like, if if at all? I, I say that for a reason because I I mean I've done those things and busy life, you know, hard 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 adrenaline adrenaline adrenaline, mm -hmm. and most people don't think recovery, and that's when they yeah. fail and take a yeah. you know, there's a trade off. Yeah, you know, I, I'm an example of what not to do in terms of recovery. <laughs> I would literally have my entire calendar of all right. March 3rd is the Longhorn Half Ironman. March 10th, I would have 10 or 12 events. I would have the entire lineup of when I'm doing tries. I would try to squeeze in as much as I could. The recovery was, you know, I got my medal. I rested that night. Next day, I'm going to go for a gentle run, etc. There was no real thought about long-term conservation. And I'll be honest, after I don't know how many years it was, after a couple of years, I started having injuries, mm, so right. I could not do it for very long, and I had to transition. I think maybe to your question, that's where my modern mindset started mm. to evolve about, mm. hey, how do I do this right? Because mm. first, it was the right foot micro fracture that hurt running, but I was running anyway. And then because of that, yeah. my left I was putting more emphasis on the left side, and I had a left knee issue. Yeah. Just Yeah, I kept realizing one thing breaks but I don't stop. I just keep going yeah. and then something else breaks. And then I just keep going in a different way. Mm. And I, I've since realized that, that, that my body has been changing over time. Mm. I mean, all of ours do. And rather than try to hold on to the glory days of 
back when we went to states or, you know, back when <laughs> something great happened. And you know what I'm talking about, that sort of yep. trope we all have in our minds of yep. the person still hanging on to their college big game, et cetera. I, I just realized I had to accept the fact that my body will change over time and I have to adapt to it. If I kept trying to force my body to, to conform to what it could do when I was 20, 22, 23, 25, it was going to be not fun for anybody. I would just be battling you know, injuries constantly. And so now, instead of saying, what's the hardest thing? What's the big triathlon a marathon? Can I do a, a hundred mile run? Instead of doing all that, I just, my goal, honestly, is just to nail the basics. Hmm. That's it. I'm not trying to be the standout athlete that everyone knows. Yep. I'm just trying to be the healthy guy who sleeps right. And people don't see that. But so I was going to ask it. you about that. Let's pause there for a second. So I, yeah. I, first of all, that's a huge part to recovery. Um, you probably didn't sleep much back then because, you know, you sleep when you die kind of mentality. I don't got time for that. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming you can correct me yeah. if I'm wrong. And now perhaps you've evolved to appreciating sleep more. Is that the case? And expand on that. A hundred percent. As a, the way my body's naturally wired, I've always been someone that falls asleep pretty early. Mm. As a kid, I would always just be the first one out. Even when I went to college, I actually never, never pulled an all-nighter in college or medical school. Mm. And in residency, there was, you know, call nights where I had to stay up and everything. But what I would do is because I would fall asleep between naturally I fall asleep around eight o'clock, eight to eight thirty is my normal bedtime. Mm. But during the those sort of tough years, the, the you know forget everything years, I would just vodka Red Bull. You know, if I was out and was getting sleepy, I would just have energy drinks and mm. keep drinking, and it would just just sleep was not something that that I would say okay, I better go home right now. Or I would try, but there's so much social pressure to stay out. Because, you know, you're in your 20s, you're in your prime. And it's, what? what do you mean? Go on to bed at yeah, 30 it's Friday night. Come no, on. No, you're no. fine. Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I, I would fall fall prey to that. And it came from a good place in people's hearts. They 100%. wanted to spend time with me, and I wanted to spend time with them. I just didn't have other time to spend, so that was it. But, yeah, now sleep is sort of top priority for me almost always, even on weekends. So you still so what's your exercise? So you're not running marathon triathlons. You're not doing Ironmans anytime soon. You are doing more recovery type of work, which mm-hmm. sleep is. When you people, when I explain to people about recovery, I'm not moving any further than sleep until we make sure we have that down. And then there's other things, but that's yeah. You know, if you say I want to sleep three or four hours a night, and but what else can I do? We there's not much else you can do. Let's start there, and then we can talk about ice baths and all kinds of other things. What 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 are you, what's your what kind of exercises do you do now? Um, you know, other practices, meditation, breathing, yep. sleep. What what is it? What are the type yeah. types of things you're doing now? Yeah, I do a couple of things, but I, I want to address that sleep part. One, just one quick thought on that. Mm-hmm. The way that I frame it to to friends of mine, or sometimes to patients, when we're having this conversation, is that to me, sleep is is the the base. Let's say you're making a cake, like this, getting enough sleep. Is that cake getting baked enough? Mm. Everything else, the exercising, the Lululemon short chewing, the, the personal trainer you've got, yeah. whatever else you're doing, that's icing on that cake. Mm. And you can have the world's most expensive icing. You can have the world's best icing layer. I don't even do an artist. But if the cake isn't baked enough, mm. it's not going to have the same effect. Mm. You're still going to have 
and underbaked cake. So you got to get so, so that's sort of my my big sort of push because a lot of people say, ah, oh, no, I'll just have I have my coffee in the morning and I'm fine. I'm wide awake. I've got plenty of energy. Well, it feels that way, but the cake isn't fully baked. So sleep number one for me. In terms of other things, I, I'm also big on on just diet and gut health now. Mm. Mm. Okay, I used to eat everything. I grew up as a vegetarian because my parents were vegetarians. Mm-hmm. And we were in a very sort of devout Hindu sect household. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to college, like I said before, I was rowing and I needed to put on muscle and everyone else was, you know, eating hamburgers and steaks. So I said, okay, this is what I should do. And I was eating a ton of meat mm-hmm. and everything. And now I, I I'm plant-based mm-hmm. and I'm not, I'm not religious about it. I'm not trying to convert anybody with any of the comments I'm making. This is just a personal decision that I've made. Mm-hmm. Number one, for my own health, I think I don't need the the meat. I'm not trying to bulk up and be Arnold Schwarzenegger anymore. I just, like I said before, just want to be healthy. Mm. Number two, I think if fewer animals happen to die during my lifetime because I've eaten less meat, great. And for climate benefits, mm-hmm. great. I think there's multiple reasons. But for me, that's another part of just being healthy because mm-hmm. I don't think if... It's not like the old days. Well, gosh, if I don't eat meat, I'm going to starve. You know, this this wildebeest running by is my only chance to eat for a month. I better kill it and eat it. I totally get that and support that. If I were on a desert island and there was only animals, yeah, I would eat them to survive. But that's not the world we live in. There's a ton of food surrounding me. Me and you, like we are both so blessed and privileged that if meat disappeared from our world today, we wouldn't die of starvation. We've got so much other stuff we can eat. And I'm thankful for that. And I recognize it. So diet, so sleep and diet and gut health. So I take probiotics every day. Oh, cool. I just eat some kimchi because I like to eat some kimchi. I'll tell you a kimchi but, story. You know, Costco has kimchi and I'm like, wow, yeah, that's the one I get. <laughs> spicy, a little spicy and everything, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. Great. So then I have, I do, I am, I am an omnivore. So I get the you know, like grass fed meat from them. And I, I just have mm-hmm. the meat mixed with the kimchi. And oh. man, so for the listener, you need to, give your body a, some time to adapt to the consumption of it if you don't normally eat it because man it was <laughs> so i ate quite a bit and, and then it was like the whole day i was running back and forth to the restroom and, uh, so so but the best form it's funny you say that actually because of course people always ask me you know what's the best probiotic and i do recommend nutraceutical supplements all the time i said look the best probiotic is like things like kimchi and from food because i don't know that mm-hmm. anything else kind of gets to where it needs to get to there's no evidence of that and it sounds good you know on the label but you know the food is, yeah. is it kimchi or you know there's a lot of fermented a, a food lot, a lot of fermented there, foods yeah. in, in general um, but um, that's interesting you say that. that's 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 great yeah, yeah i love i love the health approach you know, when people come, so there's four elements of the lifestyle that I prescribe. It's a mindfulness, exercise, nutrition, and sleep. Yeah. Actually, the it. acronym there is MENS, ironically. And obviously, there's a lot of things there, right? So as we're trying to personalize the approach and see what, like you mentioned before, who are you? How do you live your life? I don't want to. You know, if you are, you know, a plant-based person and you want to stay being a plant-based person, how, what's the best way of doing that? Where you're getting yeah. enough protein in because that's important, um, and so forth. Yeah, you know, with food, the other thing I've I've come to decide in the last couple of years is that we eat breakfast, mm-hmm. we eat lunch, mm-hmm. we eat dinner, mm-hmm. and there might be a snack in between, and maybe a snack at night, etc., or two. And I just I've really started to question. 
the yeah. the evolutionary basis for that. That's right. Because I'm not an expert in this arena at all. Yeah. This is all me just opining. Mm -hmm. But I think the human body evolved to to chase animals, you know, to to hunt mm -hmm. for days or weeks at a time. And because we wouldn't get large stores of food, our body, our liver, our, our fat store are optimized to store energy for long periods of time. And then occasionally you'll find that wildebeest or that whatever, and you get it and you eat, you might eat for that month. And then in, in between that and the next time that happened, you just wander the earth looking for berries and leaves that aren't poisonous and that might sustain you in some nuts. But I think right now what we do is we have a, a very a feast like breakfast, a feast like lunch, a feast like dinner, and I don't think that the, our bodies can handle that very well. The the metaphor that I've used with people before mm. is I don't even drink coffee by the way, but mm. if you drink coffee, this might make sense. Mm. You know, you, you go to Starbucks and they can crank out I don't know thousands of cups of coffee in their professional grade machines every day, mm -hmm. and. Imagine if you had a coffee machine at home, you, you might have one, mm -hmm. you know, you make a cup in the morning and you use the next morning and it's fine. But imagine if you took that coffee machine and took it to Starbucks mm -hmm. and had it serving the thousands of cups a day, it wouldn't last very long. It would break down. It would not work ideally. Right. That's what I think we do to our bodies, our pancreas, <clears throat> our liver. Like that's the individual sized coffee machine that we're constantly putting food in front constantly. of. And it's got bodies working all day long. So I'm, I'm, sort of looking forward, I'm trying to work my way up toward longer and longer fasting periods. Not from a weight loss standpoint, not not because I have a high school reunion coming up or something, but just as a general way to give my body some rest. That's one of the other things I'm slow. Right now, I'm only up to about a day at a time where I won't eat, but I'd love to get to that three, four, seven, 10 day period. So one of the things I started doing 25 years ago before there was all this research on fasting, because the way when you are a sort of naturopathic doctor, you, you're at 25 years ago. I mean, it was some science, but nothing like what we have now. You, you're banking on what people did, uh, anecdotal uh, information, uh, the information that was transferred to other people. So the beginning of naturopathic medicine hundreds of years ago was, <laughs> it's, a, it's actually pretty amazing, physical activity, just movement of the body. Um, sunbathing mm -hmm. meanwhile now we know vitamin d um you have like um huberman um talking about you know the benefit he's out there with you guys actually isn't yep talking about the importance of getting daylight sun and early or, you know daylight early morning, uh, energy, sun. morning sun and the importance of that to create serotonin and everything else set up your circadian um fasting the fasting was huge is it's it was the way hydrotherapy yep. Well, now, now they're doing all kinds of research on cold water therapy and trust yeah. and, and so and saunas, all kinds of research. It's like, wow, the, the, these Birkenstock, you know, naturopaths from back in the day is actually science. <laughs> they were onto something. They were yes. onto something, right? So, so I started, so this book called Rational Fasting, written in the late 1800s. Oh, wow. Right? By Arnold Arett. I, I read that 25. So I started fasting back in those days, kind of knowing these concepts, learning about these concepts. Yeah, your body needs rest and so forth. My conversation with patients, it depends where they are on the spectrum of their diet. Oh, I'm, I eat healthy. I'm mindful. Or look, I'm at zero. I'm, I, this is a Western American diet. My conversation starts with, um, what should I eat? 
let's start with eating less. I don't care what you eat at this point. Just eat less. Mm -hmm. And here are some instructions on how to eat less. But don't you think that I should have, we're not there yet. This is a lifestyle and we need to get there. So let's just eat less time restricted eating, depending on age and, and so forth. So Jay, when I make it out to Stanford to give a grand rounds talk, you and I can have a separate conversation somewhere else. And m maybe we can, you know, go back and forth and I'll share some ideas that may or may not apply to you and give you some sort of guidance, but I will yeah, have to earn that. that by, you know, getting up there and giving a talk to, yeah. to uh, everyone. We'll, we'll go to a restaurant together and not eat. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go to a fasting restaurant. Yeah, we yeah, go to exactly. a fasting restaurant. <laughs> it's on me. <laughs> Jay, you can get whatever you want, brother. I got this. Get whatever you want. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Jay, how that's hilarious. So self-preservation, right? So the residents, the new medical students coming up, they seem to be more health conscious than I think our generation were back then. I don't know if they're able to practice, but they seem to be more health conscious. They try to. I think they're, you know, I see the residents at NYU, you know, millennials, and then now we have Gen, Gen, what is it, Gen Zs or Gen Xs coming up? Z. Um, Gen Z. Yeah, they changed the whole, I mean, they're, they have, they're a whole different group, and they're like, no, life, life work balance. They're raising their head. No life work balance. Meanwhile, you couldn't do that. I mean, they, they will, you know, you get, you will get scrutinized if you're talking about life work balance. No, you just work. Now they're, they're raising their hand and saying, no, we want life work balance as residents. Mm -hmm. Do you see that happening at Stanford, other institutions? And how can, let's say any level of physician or even anyone who works a lot, how can, what, what are some of the measures to, for self-preservation? This is that they can do as they're trying to work really hard and you know gain their get their reach their goals. Yeah, I think it's always tempting for every generation to look at the younger generations because it's different. Say oh, they don't get it. What's wrong with them? And that's what people said when we were younger. Like, What's wrong with this this young generation? I think that just represents the evolution of, of humanity, honestly. And I don't think the increased focus on, on life work balance, work life balance, whatever you want to call it, is, is wrong. I think we grew up thinking work is all that matters. Yep. You know, it was, you're called house staff or residents for a reason, because it's, it was like being in the army. Mm. You, you were drafted into this. You, this is your whole life. Leave your partner, leave your family, skip all those birthdays, skip all that stuff. This is the only thing that matters right now. And if you do this well, if you're lucky enough to be one of the few that's selected, then you'll go on and, you know, reap some of the rewards. Meanwhile, your whole life may be ruined because <laughs> yeah, right. you've neglected really important parts. So I don't, I don't hold it against the current residents, trainees, students, yeah, et cetera. Neither do I. Who yeah. say, wait, I want to make medicine fit into my life. I don't want to make it my entire life. I think that's pretty appropriate. And I think the beauty of what I was saying to you earlier in terms of what I'm trying to do, which is just nail the basics, which is sleep, eat well, get some exercise, don't don't overdo it on the alcohol, get some fiber, you know, focus on your gut health. I think that's actually more compatible with having a busy medical school or residency demanding schedule. Hmm. Because we're not saying, hey, make sure you sign up for those marathons and make sure you train for three months, etc." Because those things are less sustainable. But things like, just try to get seven to eight hours of sleep every night. Every night, seven days a week. See if you can do that. That's sustainable. That's something you can do. And I realize there's call schedules, etc. You have to study late. But I think... 
you don't have to eat a burger and fries every day, mm-hmm. you know, and which is not, I don't mean to stereotype that every right. you know, young person is eating that every day. I just right, mean sure. you can eat healthy and still have a busy life. Mm-hmm. And it's gotten easier to eat healthy. I think 15 years ago, 20 years ago, if you were vegan, you know, first of all, everyone rolled their eyes at you, me included. I had this, oh, you know, sort of reaction with someone to their vegan, like, oh, now I can't figure out what they're going to eat. And if you went to a restaurant, you might have gotten the broccoli or, you know, the salad, etc. Now there are restaurants that are exclusively plant-based, they're exclusively vegan, and they have phenomenal food. And I think it's gotten easier in general to eat healthy. I still don't like the fact that it's more expensive to eat healthy. You know, that bag of chips and those two beers probably costs less than the carrots and hummus from that same snack machine that 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 guy in the Metro North every day gets. And I wish that would change, but hopefully slowly over time, that'll keep coming along too. How about attendees and just people older up, you know, higher up or more experienced that are, you know, self-preservation, I still think, you know, my observation, I think is changing and people are more mindful of, I got to do something. This is not sustainable in comparison to the generation above us who are the baby boomers, perhaps, who and older and more senior who you know, just keep working. I think ba- some of the low, the younger baby boomers in our generation um, and, and they're certainly more conscious. I remember um, what's uh, Michael drawing a blank. He was at NYU. He's a, a chair, uh, Hackensack Urology, Stifleman. Stifleman. And I remember, you know, he was working hard. To, and then he started getting to this health thing and he started doing very health practices. He looked great and felt great, right? So I thought that that was, there was a, some level of a trend. Is there anything you would suggest for the practitioner, right? 25 patients a day, 30 patients a day, go, 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 you know. <laughs> Maybe you could talk about, well, that's a, a, for a different day, how medicine is going. I think there's a lot of, you know, that's, that is part of the, yeah. con- the problem perhaps where, you know, work more, make less and be happy kind of thing. Um, just being a grind and be on the, on, the, on the assembly line that a lot of doctors are saying they feel like. But anyway, what can they do? Seeing 30 patients all day, what can they do to self-prefer? What would you say that, that they should focus on to keep their health and self-preservation? Well, you, you actually ask a more difficult question than it might seem at yeah. the surface. Yeah. Because I think it, your question, and you alluded to this in some of your, your elaborating on it, gets at a, a, a major difference in mindset. And I think there's been an evolution over the, the various generations that are practicing medicine. Hmm. You know, we discussed just a few minutes ago about how the younger generation wants to make medicine fit into their life. Didn't want to make it their whole life. And I think some of the folks who have been practicing longer much longer than maybe you and I have, saw it differently when they went in. And again, making big general, sweeping generalizations, but I think a lot of people saw it as a profession, like this is what I do, this is my identity. This is, you know, back in the old, old days, hundreds of years ago, your dad was a a boot black, so you were a boot black, so your kid were gonna be boot black. You just, you had family things, people's names even represented what their family. Mm, That's right occupations or professions were through through the yeah. through the j- ages j, j locksmith so yeah exactly <laughs> the goldsmith the blacksmith yeah, yeah yeah no but that's not that's not necessarily true for our younger generation but i think for some of the older physicians and providers who are out there i think they did go into it thinking this is this is my everything and i think for a lot of people our identities are tied up mm. in in that profession in that seeing 30 patients a day and it's easy to rationalize saying, well, if I don't do this, no one else will. 
And, and truly, we find value in that. Our patients come to us seeking help, and we've taken 30 years, 40 years to hone this, this particular skill, and we want to provide it to them. It, it, feels, it, it feels good. It feels an important need that, that we all have in our psyches. And I think for a lot of people, you just have to realize that if you're not alive or if you're not alive healthy, you're not going to be able to provide that anyway. And I think it, it gets that giving yourself permission to back off a little bit, which is infinitely easier for me to say <laughs> than for someone who's in the situation to actually do. Yeah. It's, I mean, it sounds so useless to say, oh, just cut your clinic in half. You're seeing 30 patients a day. Just do me a favor. Just do 15 and you'll have time to go play golf if that's what you like or go do yoga or go do you know, meditation. Again, very easy for, for me and you to say that, but for someone who's in it, that there's existential issues that are deeply entangled in, in those kinds of day-to-day -day activities that they have and that they, they need, honestly. Mm. And that the work to, to untangle that starts with each person, not from someone else externally, just telling you the answers. Yeah, I, so tell, I don't mean to evade your question, by the way, just no, saying it's more complex. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the industrial system, as they say, you know, is all part of the mm -hmm. yeah, the bigger the medical industrial complex, the, yeah. medical industrial complex. Right. It's all yeah. part of that for sure. When some younger I like to I'm a men's health guy, um, certainly my primary audience are middle aged men and senior men. But, but younger men, when you see, you know, kids in their 20s with low testosterone, so I have a few of things like that. And sometimes I want to mentor, you know, I'm involved in mentoring younger men and kids because that's a different conversation. But I think this whole notion of who, what, what's a man and, you know, I'd like to get involved with that. Um, in yeah. any event, when they come and we, we talk about, you know, they're trying to figure out their life and their careers. I, give them, I tell them, look, first you... You, you want to have a clear vision of what lifestyle do you want? What kind of life do you want to live? And then you work your career around that. And then you immerse, not the other way around, not this is my career, then your yeah. lifestyle around your career. No, no. What life do you want to live? What's a good life for you? Define that. And then work this, you know, work around that. Same thing with people that want to get into medicine. However, there is a price to pay in medicine. There, there's no free lunches. You have to go through residency, and residency is residency. Things are changing, thanks for the younger generation. And again, they are very much into work-life balance, more than I've ever seen before. But it's still residency. It's still a lot of work. But I think that you know Phil Perazio, who does this whole Zen operate, operation, operation Zen thing, you know, he said on the podcast, he said, um, during COVID, that's where he got his awakening moment. You know, it was a lot of free time. Mm -hmm. He says, I realize that I, I, I have some control of my time. I'm going to be intentional and mindful of how I want to spend my time. And I want to make sure that I see my daughters every day. So I create, so this is the lifestyle I want to live. And I create my schedule around that lifestyle, not the other way around. And I am home at a decent time almost every mm -hmm. day and so forth. So I think being intentional, being mindful uh, taking time to, that's the other thing. When you're in a rat race, you don't have time to think what's really important, right? You need time away and you need to sit down. So what's important to me? You know, what kind of lifestyle, what, you know, I want to live for me and my family and work around that. You know, can I, can I, uh, yeah, please, please. Drill a little bit deeper on that. Yeah. I want to add to what you just said. I think 
for me, one of the things that's been really helpful, and, and I was reminded of this when you said the majority of your audience is middle-aged men, mm. is that focus on mindfulness and meditation mm. and just being reflective. Mm. I think it's been so helpful to reframe how I see so much of what goes on around me and how I experience myself through the world. Yeah. And I think even if you're super busy and you're seeing 25, 30 patients a day and you don't have time to work out for two hours every day and all that stuff, I think if you could just create five or 10 minutes of space every day for that mindfulness reset, I think it helps. I think it helps a lot. And it's something you don't have to pay a big gym membership for. You don't need special equipment yeah. for. You don't have to be in a particular kind of physical fitness to start. It's just admitting to yourself this is important and this is okay. I'm not being weird. I'm not being you know, kooky if I'm meditating. Because I think a lot of people, men particularly, have this image of who it is that meditates. You know, we picture someone with a man bun and sort of capri pants out in some tropical locations. Like, well, that's not me. The I think the still predominant image of what it means to be a man, to get at something you alluded to earlier, does not necessarily include mindfulness or meditation for a lot of people. It includes beer, watching football, grunting and thumping your chest. Right. You know, it includes more traditional ideas. Whereas I think if people can just start doing it individually, no one has to see you. You can just do it by yourself. You can still have that macho external image, drink all the beer you want, watch all the football, you know, root for your team. That's fine. It's not incompatible with all of that. It's just something you can do in addition to it that I think is, is super helpful. Actually, if you start doing that, you probably drink a lot less beer because you have Maybe. more reflection time. You say, what am I doing? Am I, is this good for me? And you just need time to think and reflect. Um, uh, you know, I have a nephew who's in his thirties and he's working and, you know, burning the candle in all cylinders. I said, you know, you need rest, you need rest and you need reflection. You need rest and reflection mm -hmm. so that you can make better decisions moving forward. Thank you for, for saying that. I think that's very um, impactful and important for people to hear. I think we, our final thing that I like to talk about is about the art of medicine. So at this point in my practice, you know, I, I, I'm the most science-based person, natural person you probably ever meet. I'm, I'm very critical about natural medicine when it's not so scientific. And I think I had to do that to kind of get my credit certainly being at Columbia back in the day, I was like, no, no, this is, I remember giving a grand rounds little talk on things. And I was like, no, this is the evidence. And, yeah, this is. and of course, our, some of our senior people were there. And I was like, I really want to make sure that they understand that this is all science-based. Yeah. As I've evolved and became more secured with what I do in my practice, I'm like, wait a minute, we're dealing with humans. There doesn't, art here. There are feelings and emotions. This guy just got diagnosed with prostate cancer. How can I just say what the evidence shows and only say that and not merge that in with the feelings, the emotions, how they live their life, the fact that they may not be listening to me because they were just diagnosed, actually. So, you know, they're actually not listening. They're like, oh, shit, am I going to die kind of yeah. mode? Uh, you know, th that's important, I think. So, there's an art there that I think that it's very, you know, to combine that with clinical experience and combine that with the evidence and the guidelines that are given to, uh, through science. Speaking to Dr. Kibble, and I'm not sure, yeah, that should be up by the time this is published. He talked about when I 
asking the same question. This is up in your wheelhouse as a bladder cancer expert. He talked about that's a great point because uh, GL, you know, for example, it shows that if you do chemotherapy in a bladder cancer situation where the pr- patient needs a cystectomy, so they need to remove their bladder, and if you give them chemo prior to the cystectomy, it shows that there's better outcomes in comparison to uh, giving them chemo after a cystectomy. And but there are many times where. It, it, the art of medicine, including intuition, even he's like, it's better for them to get chemo after after the cystectomy than before the cystectomy, even though the guidelines are saying the opposite. So what is your opinion, your approach, what you teach your mentees with regards to the art of medicine? Yeah, well, I appreciate you bringing that up. And I couldn't agree with you and, and Adam anymore on that. You know, historically as I was learning and and growing up in medicine, so to speak, I was very intent on knowing what the guidelines say to do, knowing what the right answer was for any given scenario. Mm. Oh, in this case for T2B bladder cancer, we should do this. Oh, for someone with T1A urothelial cancer, this, this side of the bladder, here's the best thing to do. And I got very good at at knowing what the right thing to do according to the the doctor books, as we'll call it Mm -hmm. is. And as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate similar to what we said at the beginning in that just as with our trainees and, and, and ourselves as, as providers, medicine just represents one part of our whole, our whole life. I think for patients, that diagnosis, that disease, that issue that they're there seeing you for represents only one small part of their overall context. Hmm. And I think it is so important to understand that context because as you said, if we go straight to here's what the guidelines say, first of all, the patient may not even be hearing you. Like literally may not be able to process the words coming in because they're in such a state of shock mm-hmm. that they just found out they had cancer. Mm-hmm. So my, my first, my opening line to almost every patient, and I almost exclusively see bladder cancer patients now. And because I have the, the privilege of working at a, a tertiary quaternary care referral center, They've all been diagnosed beforehand. So it's not common that I'm the one telling them they have cancer. They come in knowing they have bladder cancer and they're coming to see me, a bladder cancer specialist. So I always start every conversation after, of course, introducing myself and asking how they want to be addressed. I'll always say, I'm really sorry to hear about the bladder cancer. I imagine this is not something you were planning to deal with at this point in your life or probably ever. And I just want to spend a little bit of time understanding how you're doing Hmm. like mentally how are you doing Hmm. and then just letting them speak and just saying it's really hard or you know a lot of times people will say well i'm fine i just want to figure out the next step and then slowly as you develop a relationship you'll Hmm. realize they're not fine Hmm. so trying to understand some of that context and you know to the point that that you and adam were talking about in terms of his chemotherapy before or after bladder removal better etc i will tell you there is a a fairly significant proportion of my patients who don't necessarily pick what the guidelines would say their their ideal choice is. Hmm. I always tell the patients, we are going to make a decision together about this situation. And what I'm going to bring to the conversation is my experience dealing with hundreds of these patients who have been in similar situations as you're in, in terms of the cancer. And I know the guidelines, I know all the experts, I know the trials, I'm going to bring that to the conversation. Mm. What you're going to bring to the conversation is your context. 
is your individual needs, your societal, your familial needs, your desires, your, your preferences, your, your utilities, as they say in the scientific world. And together, we're going to put all that together so that we can help you make the best decision. You know, I can't, I'm never going to force you for what to do. You are the ultimate decision maker. And that's not me trying to shift responsibility to you. I'm here for you. I'm all the way in. We're going to walk through this together. I'm going to be right next to you the whole way. But my job is to help you feel good about the decision you make. Because, you know, yes, the guidelines may say we ought to take your bladder out. And if we do, your absolute overall survival benefit will be 5% at five years, whatever. But if for you, you are 77 years old and you live alone, and all of your family lives in Chicago or the East Coast, and you're here by yourself on a fifth floor walk up, and you've got really bad arthritis, and your hands don't work that well, and you've got some vision issues, and maybe for you, taking out your bladder might not be the best thing, even though the guidelines would say it is. Mm. Maybe we have to come up with another solution. Maybe a combination of gentle chemotherapy and radiation might work for you, et cetera. But whatever, that the point is, as opposed to coming in as a hero who's got all the answers and who's going to mm. you know, <laughs> solve every diagnostic crazy problem. Like, oh, here's what you have and here's what we need to fix it. Mm. It is much more collaborative. And I think that's where the art of medicine gets in mm. to, to your direct question, as opposed to the science of medicine, which you can just Google and just ask ChatGPT, hey, what do I do for Seriously. this kind of cancer? And you'll yeah. get the answer. We're not going to need humans to provide that answer for too much longer because AI and technology is at the rate that it's advancing, people will know the answer. What we're going to need is someone who can humanely help them understand that answer for them in their context. The more, it, it, you know, I have teenage daughters and uh, they're 19 and 18. So that generation is, they, they have a hard time just connecting with people. Right. And I said, I said, you know, girls, Continue to connect with people, continue to just have conversations with people, continue to have eye contact with, make eye contact with people. That's going to set you apart from everyone else in your generation. That's going to be a skill that very few will have. You know, the art of a collaborative um, relationship. That's going to be a skill as AI becomes more fine-tuned and you can find answers to there. What's going to separate everyone? Hum being human. Just be human. Yep. You know? You know, humanizing ever the situation is certainly medicine. That's going to set everybody else apart from everyone else. Uh, thank you for expanding on that in such an eloquent and um, useful way. I, I so appreciate that. My last question is like, so who, if you if you had to choose, pick a percentage of colleagues, let's just say in urology that see um, that, that have that medical philosophy. What would you say it is? I think it's getting going in the right direction, but I don't. Um, it's 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 a, it's, a, it's a turtle's pace, particularly even in bladder cancer, as I know colleagues in New York, um, and bigger big institutions that are experts in is. I just don't see that approach being applied. What percentage of urologists do you think view uh, have that same medical philosophy? You would say. It's you're asking what percentage of of, of urologists of you think see have that a similar medical philosophy to you collaborative medicine collaborating you know a partnership with patients kind of approach. I think most physicians would say mm -hmm. that that makes sense mm -hmm. and that yes they realize there's a larger context and honestly I think it's difficult to be a physician 
I think I have the luxury of being at a, at a very high-end institution, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And not to sound elitist with this, but if I do something that's not in the guidelines, I'm seen as an innovator. If someone else does something that's not in the guidelines, they're seen as possibly being medically negligent. Wow. And I'm sensitive that's to that. That's a big statement. I, yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, and I don't, again, I'm not trying to brag with that. I'm yeah. trying to be transparent yeah. in terms of the privilege I enjoy. So I think a lot of people, I think most physicians want to do right by their patients. I think most physicians want to understand the context and want to help the patient make an informed choice. And I think medical legally speaking, there's there's a lot of fear of, well, I better do all of these things because if I don't and something bad happens, yeah. I could get sued. Yeah. And that could ruin your life. After years of training and, and building a practice, mm-hmm. I think those kinds of things where a physician is is put on trial, not not formally a trial, but where a physician's judgment is questioned, yeah. where someone, your colleagues or some peer review body is saying, hey, you may not be a good doctor. You may be doing bad things. I think that is really crushing mm. to physicians' souls. Mm. And I think that there's this phenomenon called sec- the second victim phenomenon, mm. where let's say a surgeon does something to a patient. Let's say there's an untoward outcome. There's a, a bleed or something. You, know, you cut something by mistake. Obviously, the victim is the patient, mm. and the patient suffers and, and hopefully can recover, but it's not necessarily always the case. But then what happens to that surgeon in terms of all the questioning, in terms of the the restriction of privileges or having to prove that that you didn't mean to do that or that you know what you're doing, that's the second victim. And I think that is something we don't talk about enough. Mm. And I think that that really erodes a lot of people's ability to enjoy what they do in medicine and curtail their longevity. So to get back to your question of what percentage of, of physicians do I think share that desire to do right by the whole patient, my optimistic view is that most physicians feel that way. But not everyone may have the luxury of being able to either take the time to have those conversations, because it's lovely for me to say, oh, I ask, how are you feeling? But for that patient who's got 15, or for that physician who's got 15 minute slots and 40 patients or 60 patients, they might be listening to this episode and laughing, saying, well, Jay, that's not Jay, you have, realistic yeah. with my world. Yeah, yeah. Yep. 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 So it's a bigger problem than just, yep. you know, certainly I'm always at risk of oversimplifying things because it, everything is within context, of course. Um, fascinating. Jay, um, first of all, I so appreciate this conversation. You know, we, I think we talked, we touched on things that most people don't want to talk about, you know, a little bit less on what's the right approach with bladder cancer. And if they got this grade and stage, what, and less on, you know, the human component of, of, of people, of, of physicians and patients and how to practice. And I, I think this is so valuable. And I thank you so much for opening up and sharing uh, with me your, your ideas and your views on it, which is so valuable. Um, thank you for that. Jay, final words and uh, how can people uh, get in touch with you? I know we're going to have a link in our show notes, but, you know, whatever you want to tell us. Yeah. No. Twitter accounts, well, anything. First- <laughs> well, first of all, Gio, I'm glad that we bumped into each other at the American Neurological Association meeting last spring and and had a great conversation that led to, to this. Mm. And thank you for what you're doing to, to create a safe space to have these kinds of conversations, because I think it's not only is it important for your listeners to, to have access to, to this kind of information, I think it's important for the folks that you invite onto your podcast mm to be able to say these things. I think there's there's healing for us as well in being able to talk about these. 
you know, you mentioned, and I know I won't try this out too long, about how so many of your your listeners are middle-aged men. I think one of the things that middle-aged men suffer from silently is this that there's this epidemic of loneliness. 100%. And Vivek Murthy, the current you know, certain general, has written a book about this. I think, I think creating spaces where people can talk about the things that aren't easy to talk about it is invaluable. So I'm grateful to you for you. for this being one of those spaces and for, for your work to, to have created this. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Twitter accounts, anything that oh, you want yeah, people yeah. to follow you? Yeah, I mean, I don't... I oh, wait a minute. A is it X? Is it, is it X? It's <laughs> not Twitter it's anymore, X, is no. it? It's X. Formerly known as Twitter. I think it's called Twitter. It's it's X pronounced Twitter. <laughs> okay, got it. No bird. <laughs> but but no I bird. think, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I do have a a handle. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. It's... it's at a at bladder cancer MD. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I, I'm pretty open about sharing my email and things. People always worry, oh my gosh, you give all your patients your, your cell phone number, don't they blow it up? No, people are incredibly kind and considerate. And if someone reaches so. out when it's not convenient, I just say, hey, this is not convenient, or hey, this isn't working for me as a way to communicate. But I'm happy to give your your listeners my email address if people want. It's jbshah at stanford.edu. Happy to have further conversations with people. I'm happy to answer questions if it's something I can answer. Plus, if, if they're willing to, if they have a bladder cancer scenario, I definitely would want them to, to see you. And if they can see you, if they don't live in California and they're able to, I would love for them to, to do that. So thank you. And for if they can't, that. if they live somewhere else, I'm happy to, to point them to, to a phenomenal right bladder cancer specialist because yeah. it's a small community. So we all know each other. Yeah. Jay, thanks so much, man. Have a great day. And again, I appreciate you. Yeah, this was great, Gio. I appreciate you as well. Great talking to you. Take care. Our next sponsor partner has a product I use literally every day. I'm talking about AG1. You know, I've been using green powders mixed in drinks for a long time. (laughs) It has not always been a great experience, right? The powder clumps up a little bit. It tastes horrible. But you know what? You chug it anyway because it's good for you. AG1 changed the game. In AG1, you have... 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day the right way. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, and energy to help you recover and focus and help you age successfully. To make it easy, AG1 is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Dr. Geo. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash Dr. Geo to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now for a brief disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and we're not forming a doctor-patient relationship through this medium. The use of the information and all links associated with this podcast is at the listener's risk and is not to replace medical advice from a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Lastly, 
Thoughts and opinions related to this podcast are my own and may not reflect the views of any institution or organization I'm associated with. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Dr. Geo podcast. You can watch all episodes of this podcast and much more by subscribing to my YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash Geo Espinoza ND. If you love what you heard today, you can help by leaving a five-star review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify as each review helps us reach more men who are serious about improving their urological health and how to function better with age. And for the latest research and actionable takeaways in the world of men's health and integrative urology, sign up for my newsletter at drgeo.com. I'll see you next time.